When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, you're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds, he fires. Swing and a miss, straight play, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 280 of the show. Uh, gentlemen, welcome back to another fine edition. Uh, Keaton, how are you staying hydrated this evening? Sugar-free Gatorade, baby. Nice. What flavor? Um, berry. Oh, okay. A, sounds very good. Um, Indeed. Wh- what about you over there, Bob? What are you drinking? I've got a, uh, a cloud candy from the Mighty Squirrel Brewing Company. That's in Waltham, Massachusetts, baby. That's correct. Yes. So, Been there many times. I love that place. I'm ready to go. It's delicious. That's excellent. I've got a, a gin and tonic here uh, on, All right. on tap. So we're, we're going to have a good, good podcast here for you. We're going to be talking a lot about pitching, a lot about the mechanics of this uh, suddenly overcrowded roster. We've got a bunch of listener questions today, so it's going to be an excellent show. And we are very glad that you are joining us today for this. Let's get go ahead and get started right off with uh, the rotation. Garrett Whitlock is going to come back this weekend. Uh, he starts Saturday versus Mer- Merrill Kelly and the Diamondbacks. Um, Bob, let's start with you here. Uh, I know you've been a big proponent of Garrett Whitlock and especially Garrett Whitlock as a starter. What did you make of his rehab starts and... Uh, you know, what do you expect from him when he makes his way back to the lineup and or to the rotation? Yeah, I. Uh, it seems like the last couple of outings, he was getting up in that five-inning range. Um, it's good to see that he's built his arm back up to where it was before the injury and didn't take too long. I'm expecting... Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess would be the best way to describe it, because I've definitely been a proponent of Whitlock in the rotation. I don't think that there's any more injury risk as a starting pitcher 
um, than for him to make the switch to the bullpen and be pitching in back-to-back games or throw, you know, three or four games in a week or something like that. I, you know, have, have always kind of felt just with his pitch repertoire and three good pitches and coming up as a starter. And I think that they should just keep him in that role. And I think we talked a little bit last week that where he was at the very beginning of last year before the hip injury happened, that kind of, you know, everything derailed from there. His last couple of starts weren't great, struggled a little bit in the bullpen and then ended up having the season ending surgery. I think if he can get back to that point where he was early last year, um, where he, had some six innings, seven inning outings, and he had one of those earlier this season as well. Um, he's got that, you know, as part of his game. It's just a matter of staying healthy. And of course, the cautious part is that he's coming off of another arm injury, and we'll have to see whether, uh, you know, he can handle full season workload or if there'll be any more hiccups along the way. But I think. Uh, Based on some other things we're going to talk about in this episode, uh, this is the right move to have Whitlock as one of the five. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And, you know, I wonder, too, if part of him getting the uh, elbow barking at him a little bit was, you know, maybe just not being fully used to uh, his new mechanics with having a fully healthy hip. I imagine that that would really kind of throw some things off in that kinetic chain um, as you're kind of adapting to, you know, feeling better again. Um, Keaton, are you feeling good about Garrett Whitlock coming back to the rotation too, or, or are you a proponent of him being in the bullpen? Where do you stand with the decision to uh, slot Whitlock right back in, even though he's had some health issues? Yeah, I, I'm good with it. And I share same concerns that Bob has about his health and having another injury, but I think they've been preparing him to be a starter, and I think that's where they want him to be. I think that's where it feels like it's where he wants to be as well. So I don't think it seems like they're kind of forcing the issue or anything. It seems like where he wants to be, so I don't really have a problem with it. And I think that um, kind of – also building off of your point about being comfortable with his mechanics and being healthy. Uh, I feel pretty confident about that as well. His results in the minors look pretty good. Specifically, only three walks, 18 innings. That was really, really good to see. Uh, he was all around the strike zone, which obviously is what you want to see. Um, something that he was kind of struggling with uh, in his bad starts those uh, couple innings so far this year so. Good to see that get corrected and him being healthier. Hopefully he can sustain this now. Um, and given the other options, to they're not great. So I'd rather give him the chance again uh, to be healthy and really kind of get some momentum together as a starter because I don't feel like he's actually had that either. They want him to be a starter, and they're giving him the chance to, but he just hasn't been able to put, like, a significant stretch of starts together to get the momentum there before something happens. They either need him in the bullpen or he ends up getting hurt. So um, it feels like he's in a good spot now to, um, you know, health wise and just opportunity wise with the Red Sox to really build some momentum on that and being a starter. So I feel good about it. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into uh, what is going to be our next topic with uh, Tanner Houck here. Um, So, Alex Cora recently uh, made a decision 
um, to keep Tanner Houck in the rotation and to move Corey Kluber to the bullpen. The Red Sox had been riding with a six-man rotation, um, and it looked like they were going to go one more turn with that until Cora made this decision just today. Um, I had to even update the agenda about it, but you know, uh, this comes off the back of a Tanner Houck start um, where he looked really, really good on Monday. Um, bit of a statement game for him. And, um, you know, I think momentum is is kind of the word that I'm looking for here with Tanner Houck. You know, coming into that game, he had the second best XERA on the team um, behind Chris Sale at 3.98. Um after this really strong start that he had, though, he dropped that down to the best ex-ERA on the team at 3.61. So that's expected ERA, sort of the under-the-hood metrics of um, what a pitcher is, you know, what he has deserved to that point. And now uh, Hauk is actually tied with Chris Sale for the team lead in F-War for pitchers. So, you know, Hauk has been, on the whole, pretty good, and he's been a lot better lately um and it's nice to see that progress from tanner Houck, who's you know finally had the opportunity to kind of be left alone and figure things out in the rotation uh and last time that i was on with just bob you know we were talking about this and i mentioned how bad tanner Houck's second and third times through the order have been and you know that he just really has been getting hit around because i think there's been a lack of a consistent um second breaking pitch uh and what we saw that was really different in this start monday against the angels where they ended up losing two to one was the fact that he looked really comfortable with the splitter in this start he threw it you know uh 19 of the time uh got a ton of whiffs on it um just really looked way better um he threw 16 of these splitters um had 55% whiff rate on it, which is about the same as on his slider, which is has always been his best pitch. So really, it, it was quite a game changer for him. And, you know, if we can continue to see that evolution for Tanner Houck, all of a sudden you're, you're talking about a guy who has two really good off-speed pitches or breaking pitches, I should say, um, to go along with pretty good fastball and sinker cutter combo. So there's like a lot of good stuff going on here. Bob, I know that you watched that Hauk start and were really impressed with what you saw. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think everything that you said there um, was accurate, Jake. The splitter was just such an important piece of the puzzle. Um, And we've talked about the third pitch. And, you know, as you said, the 55% rate of um of swings and misses on that was incredible and what what i also saw was just how his slider was able to play off of that and you know the slider was not the pitch that we were worried about but it was the most kind of elite pitch that he had um the other night he ended up throwing it 41 percent of the time so between the slider and the splitter he threw those two pitches 50 percent of the time and if he has his secondaries working that well and getting that many I mean, he had a ton of called called strikes. He had 11 called strikes on the slider. Um, so he had a 53% CSW, you know, called strikes and whiffs. So more than half the time that he threw the slider, they were either taking it or they were swinging and missing at it, which is just an insane rate that you don't see very often. So the splitter was great. The slider was great. Um, and with Hulk, I mean, 
we had seen what Corey Kluber had done on Sunday, and I'm sure in his mind he felt he was kind of pitching for his job. I mean, we talked a week ago, we both thought that he was one of the two that would get removed from the rotation if they had to remove two. Um, you know, you had him first, I had him second. It ended up kind of that they needed those two spots within those seven days. So I'm sure he knew that, and he went in and answered the bell, and things change from week to week. I'm going to change my opinion, and I think it was, it's, it's the, you know, as we'll talk about a little bit with Corey Kluber, but it makes sense why Hulk will be sticking in the rotation, because he answered the bell, and he did everything that they asked in it, of him, and if you pitch that well in a big spot with striking out Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, ex-MVPs on multiple occasions... I don't know how you could possibly take that guy out of the bullpen, uh, put him into the bullpen after the start that he had on Monday night. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy has an incredible sense of timing. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if he could pick one outing to do all the things that, you know, Keaton has been saying he should be doing for uh, <laughs> months here with utilizing that splitter and finally being confident in the pitch, um, he picked a hell of a time to do it. And, you know, the, our, our valuations of Kluber were with a guy who was essentially a two-pitch guy uh, who was not very good at relying on that splitter. But when you think about the repertoire of having, you know, all three of those pitches work at the same time, you've got the fastball, that's a pretty good pitch. He commands it pretty well. Um, the slider that gives him a lot of that horizontal movement. And then that splitter, when it's working, and we saw it working, you know, it looks like a fastball coming in and then it just dips down. So you get that, you know, horizontal or that uh, vertical drop as well. It just, those are three pretty good weapons uh, to mess with hitters. So um, if, if that's the type of Tanner Houck that we're going to see uh, moving forward, um, that changes the whole calculus for what he can be uh, in this rotation. So... I mean, Keaton, I, I'm going to give you some space here to take a little bit of a. I was going to say, victory you're not even going to let me say anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I'm clearing the floor for you, man. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this the the whole point of the article that I wrote was uh, his splitter is nasty and he needs to throw it more. And this was finally the first time uh, in any one of his starts where the splitter was his second most thrown pitch behind his slider. Um, so he was, as you pointed out, finally, at least for a start, comfortable throwing it. And the, just the results were amazing. So I really hope that this is what he carries going forward. But along with that, what also kind of stood out to me was so far this season, he's thrown his slider 33.2% of the time, which is significantly less than the previous three seasons. He's actually not throwing his slider nearly as often, which for it being his best pitch, was kind of surprising. However, as Bob pointed out in that last uh, start, he threw it 41% of the time, which was by far the most that he had thrown it this season. Um, so for his slider to finally be like his most utilized pitch by a wide margin and the split be his second most utilized pitch, this was like a complete shift in how he was deploying his arsenal and obviously the effectiveness spoke for itself. I really want him to carry this forward. I want him to be using his best pitches the most. And for him to go to bump up that slider usage 
and really be leaning on the splitter as that next pitch off of his slider. I really want him to carry that for. I really want him to keep going with that. And I, I think, um, I mean, this last start was incredible. I don't know if it would be consistently that good, but I think he would have a lot of positive results with this pitch mix. So I really want him to carry this forward. There, there's a yeah. lot of pitchers in the league that are throwing. I mean, and the slider has increased in the last couple of years more than any other pitch. There are pitchers that are throwing that, you know, more than their fastball. So it's not a crazy thought to lead with that if he's throwing it for strikes. Now he yeah, can absolutely. Um, you know, tends to have some bouts of wildness now and then. So you might know early on in the game. Um, but it was the third inning that he started throwing that more. He was barely throwing his fastball in the last four innings. Um, and kind of using the slider as the primary pitch um, and, you know, painting corners and for the last four innings. And that's when he really dominated was the last four innings of that game. So I, I think it's, uh, he might have something there. But again, you know, you'll probably know early on in the start um, whether yeah. he can lead with that pitch or if he's falling behind and counts. Well, I think the thing with Hauk is we've actually seen that in a, in a lot of his outings where he looks good, um, the slider actually looks like, you know, the pitch that he's commanding best out of all of his pitches as well. He's one of those guys that does seem to have like a ridiculously good feel for it. And I wonder if part of this is just Hauk sort of retraining himself to pitch and trusting what the the analytics and the numbers are saying. You know, I think that, and you can probably attest to this, Bob, that when you're growing up, everybody tells you to pitch off of your fastball. And I think that for a long time, a, a guy like Hauk, who's just such a horse and has a pretty good fastball, probably got good results pitching off of his fastball. But now in the major leagues, his fastball is not a special pitch anymore. And his off-speed pitches are, his secondaries are. So... Um, you know, being able to, you know, utilize those pitches and lean on those and, you know, only use the fastball when you absolutely need to. And as long as your body can hold up to that challenge, and it seems like he's been incredibly durable so far in his career, uh, to this point, I, I don't see any reason why he can't make this transition if he can just kind of get over that hump mentally. Yeah, and, and the, the third time through thing, it's going to continue to linger, but it didn't happen in this game. So, <laughs> you know, that's a good sign. And just the, the difference in velocity between the pitches that you mentioned. You know, the slider is about 83, and the sinker is about 94, and the split finger is 88, and they're all about five miles an hour apart. And, you know, that's enough separation where if he's – if he has the feel for it, if he's getting ahead, it counts with his slider. 94 looks a lot faster um, when you you come at him with that with two strikes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. On the flip side of this, though, uh, Corey Kluber uh, getting kicked out of the rotation here. He's been very lost uh, all all of this season. Uh, over the, the last 30 days, he's had a real ERA of 4.56. But his expected ERA over that time was 5.87. Uncharacteristic for Kluber this year has been the command issues. The walks have just really plagued him um, for for most of his starts, um, which is just very odd considering he's a command guy. Uh, Velocity down even more, 88 miles an hour on the fastball. There's just not a lot working 
for Corey Kluber at this point. Um, you know, this is kind of an interesting uh, thing going on here with Corey Kluber, though, because as he moves to the bullpen, it's not clear that this is really a good spot for him. Um, it's not clear to me that his stuff will play up at all. And I really highly doubt that it will play up at all in the bullpen. Pavetta and Crawford are out there already. So it kind of seems like the best spot for Kluber is actually not on the roster at all. Um, either trade or DFA or something like that. But, uh, I got into kind of an interesting Twitter conversation. I retweeted something that, uh, Tyler Milliken had, posted about this move and then Chris Hatfield from Sox Prospects responded uh, and he basically said that the move is likely in part a function of Mata, Walter, and Murphy all being underwhelming and or hurt. There's no real starting pitching depth right now to feel good about in AAA and Shane Drowan needs a bit of time before I think of his him as an option. So, you know, do you guys agree with that sentiment that the reason why Kluber is being put in the uh, bullpen at this point is really just as a failsafe in case anything goes wrong with any of these starters before some of the other bullpen options that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show get healthy enough to come back. Yeah, I think I do. I think that this is kind of the, the one spot that everybody really needs too much depth at every year. And things are going really well right now. But we also know it's a really fragile rotation. It may not be long before Kluber needs to start games again. And really kind of need to be prepared for that. And they don't have a whole lot of depth at the high minors. So I think that it does make sense as a safety to retain that, even though it is kind of a really awkward fit and you don't know how it's going to work. There was a time late in June, early July last year when in consecutive weeks, Ivaldi and Rich Hill and Whitlock and whoever else was on the team last year was four of them in a row that all went down. And the only reason Brian Bayo got called up as the ninth starter was because of all of those injuries. And it could happen next week that, that an injury happens and Kluber's right back in the rotation where two injuries happen and it's Kluber and Pavetta or Cutter Crawford and one of them. Um, I mean, I totally agree. Corey Kluber in the bullpen is not, the stuff's not going to play up there. Um, you know, it's not like he comes out firing and then struggles later. He has a six ERA in the first inning this year and a five ERA in the second and a five forty in the third. Like he sucked every inning this year. So, you know, I don't think he's going to come out and, and dominate in the first inning in the, the sixth or the seventh to be a setup guy and Pavetta be the long guy. I mean, it's just they don't really fit in the bullpen together, but I don't think they have a choice because, as you said, of the lack of depth at AAA. And we talked about Drohan a little bit last week that he had just gotten called to AAA and he might be their best pitching prospect, but that's because of some AAA pitchers that have not worked out well. So, yeah, that we've we've talked all year about the the how fragile the rotation is, and hopefully these five guys stay healthy. But I think you have to get to July before you're confident that you have you know seven starters of depth 
before you can make a move. May is way too early in the season to be trading um, a healthy, experienced arm, or releasing, I should say, either or. It just feels a little weird to me that, you know, once uh, Whitlock is activated, they're going to move Justin Garza back down to the minors, um, and then you're going to have a bullpen that's pretty much Jansen Martin, Jolie Rodriguez, Josh Winkowski, Crawford, Bernardino, Pavetta, and then carrying a warm body in Corey Kluber. You know, you're you're pretty much pitching a man down in your bullpen. So how long can you do that? Like he's he's essentially a mop up guy. How long can you have three middle infielders that don't play the middle infield? <laughs> I mean, I'd argue they've been playing a man down all year, and they're going to get some <laughs> relief there in the middle infield pretty soon. So um, they're going to have to they're going to have to call up and send down and use the fifteen day IL and off days and get creative. I think you have to go till July first and know that you've got five healthy starters and figure out what you're going to do with Crawford because Crawford probably is the sixth guy. Um, yeah in the pecking order right now it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Well, I think you, uh, you hit on a, a good spot for us to pivot to um the middle infield so you know the the middle infield depth on this team has been tested and tested and tested again and uh has has consistently been passing these tests despite all odds um but this week i mean yu chang starts his rehab assignment today as we're recording this christian arroyo is going to start one friday um, and in the bullpen, we have Wyatt Mills starting one this week as well, who hasn't appeared in a game yet this season. Um, you know, in, in the meantime that Chang and Arroyo have been out, uh, Pablo Reyes, who, you know, came out of nowhere uh, from Oakland, uh, the Oakland AAA team, has been per- performing really well defensively. He's hit a little bit. And then Enmanuel Valdez has been a real bright spot uh, for the Red Sox. Um, specifically, I, I wanted to mention Valdez's numbers here because uh, over the course of his time up, he's been great. Um, let's see, Valdez, 273, 324, 470 with three home runs, 10 RBIs, 113 WRC+. Plus. Uh, not a great defender, but certainly giving you some offense there. What the hell do the Red Sox do when... Uh, Chang and Arroyo come back. How do they handle this? Who goes down? I mean, can you justify sending Valdez down? He's the only one of these guys with an option, so it seems like he will get sent down, but it's just like, feels kind of weird to send a guy with a 113 WRC plus down to the minor leagues in favor of two guys who really haven't shown the ability to hit. Yeah, um, I agree. It's a little weird, but it's the point that you just made. I mean, he has options and I appreciate very much kind of what Valdez has done. He's worked hard defensively. 
and they talk about it on the broadcast, you know, almost nightly that he's out there working on his defense and it, it showed. I mean, the first, you got to wonder if the first three games where he was just dropping balls that were hit to him was nerves um, because he, <laughs> if he came up and played the way that he has the last week defensively, it would seem that that was kind of maybe like an average tool that he had to go with a, a solid hit tool. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chang having a defensive shortstop is important for this team, and I felt that way all year. And I think that they need to have that on the roster, which Chang was and showed a little bit of pop. I don't think he'll continue. I think he'll continue to be a 200 hitter until they get other shortstops back. Um, but I think that's what it's going to have to be. I think it's going to be Chang and Arroyo and Kike. We're going to talk about Adam Duvall a little bit, where I don't think you can just shift Kike to the outfield um, with Duran and Duvall, and that's going to get crowded as well. So I think it's got to be the the players that don't have the options, um, all of which also I think generally deserve to stay. You know, Chang, that was a, a tough injury when it happened a month ago, and he's back ahead of schedule. Um, but I think defensively that he has to be on the roster until... Um, some of the other middle infielders get back later in the year. Keaton, how would you manage this? I mean, Chang, Arroyo, Pablo Reyes, Valdez, there's only two spots available for those four guys. So what do you do? I mean, if, it feels kind of crappy to say to Pablo Reyes, like, hey, thanks for two awesome weeks. See you later, bud. Like, you know, he doesn't have any options, so... You're going to have to DFA him if, if you know, you're activating one of these other guys. I get the point that Bob said about Yu Chang in the defense. I still feel like he's a little bit overrated. Um, I'm not sure he's that much better than Pablo Reyes is, to be honest. Um, so I, I have some mixed feelings about this, but how would you handle it? Yeah, I mean, we're arguing about bench depth. So it's not like an exciting argument. Um, How dare you? I know. I lean more towards uh, to your side, though, Jake. I think I. It does kind of feel weird, but it, um, Paul Reyes is probably the the one for me, uh, and Valdez because of the option, um, and potentially some more defensive seasoning there. Um, but yeah, obviously, as you pointed out, he has made some, a little bit of some strides there to, to make a little bit stronger of a case, but still needs some, a little bit of work there. Those two kind of make sense to me. Um, that's probably how I would handle it, but it's, I don't, I really don't feel strongly besides, um, Valdez. I feel like he's earned the, the right to stay, but. Uh, him having options really kind of means that he is going to go. So probably yeah. makes more sense for him to be getting consistent at bats and consistent playing time anyway. So I think I'm okay with that. But yeah, I don't I don't feel super strongly about really kind of any of these moves. I think you can mix and match, and I'm unbothered. I, so, I think it's shittier that they would tell Valdez that he's got to go when he is. Seven extra base hits and 66 at-bats. Three of those being homers, 10 RBIs. He's improved defensively. Like, I I, I don't know. I thought when Reyes arrived that that was going to be a two-week stint no matter what. And I yeah. think Valdez 
is a bat off the bench that could be more, you know, if there's not a spot for him as a starter, I think he he's a good left-handed pinch hitter, you know, DH when Turner needs a day off, that kind of thing. Do you think bringing him off the bench sporadically makes more sense than consistent playing time in the minors until yeah. no, it's a, it's a good point. I, I just feel like he has contributed more than than Reyes. Oh yes, for sure. Okay. So I'm not, actually not have debating a couple that lines at all. about that though, Keaton. Like I I think that I think you both make really good points. Um, this is not an easy situation. I know we're talking like a lot about crappy middle infield depth objectively, <laughs> but it, there is some benefit to being up with the big league club for somebody like Manuel Valdez, because I think that I think we'd all agree that his carrying tool is his hit tool. And the fact that he can impact the baseball has been the thing that stood out. And that's why the Red Sox went and got him in the trade. And, um, you know, the benefit to him being up with the big club and even coming off the bench and playing a couple times a week is that when he's up with the big club, he gets to work with the major league instructors on defense. And that's really the thing that um, he needs the most work on. So I wonder if he may even get some better quality work um, playing less often up here. Uh, So I do feel kind of crappy about the idea of him being sent down, but I'm in complete agreement with you guys. I do think that Valdez is sent down. I think they're going to give Pablo Reyes a nice handshake and hopefully like try and find him a home on another team. I wish there was a practice squad that they could sign him to like in football uh, here, but I, I think, I think that's called the minors. He'll, he'll get a job somewhere. I, I have no doubt that somebody will pick him up after his audition, but I think this brings us to our next and maybe more pressing point that let's, let's just say we agree that Yu Chang and, Arroyo are the guys who are going to be there. Once Duval comes off that uh, minor league, uh, or I should say uh, IL, uh, not minor league IL, um, he's going to be activated June 9th. I mean, one of those two has to go. Bob, who would you rather have on the team, Chang or Arroyo? You have to pick one for Duval, because I assume that Cora is going to really want, especially with all of the, uh, you know, the the flexibility that he's already going to have built up on this roster. I think he's going to want to keep Ref Snyder and Tapia, who have been such a good mix and match for him off the bench. That you know, I think it's it's got to be one of Chang or Arroyo. Yeah, and I think at that point, if you know all things equal to or stay the same from now, um, I would say that Chang would go. I mean. What's his average? 130? So, <laughs> you know, it's I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth with wanting the shortstop defense there. But it's you, you got to kind of go off of the 13 hitters that are on the roster at that time. And if you introduce Duvall in, who was their best hitter when he got hurt, you know, now you're finding a spot for him. And, and Duran is going to need at-bats at well, as well um, at that point. Hernandez is probably becoming a platoon player, um, you know, not having any any spot in the outfield to go to. So it's just there's going to be a lot of names in the mix, and it's possible that we, two months from now, have completely forgotten the names of Valdez and Reyes and Chang when everybody's healthy. But a lot of times 
these things work themselves out and there's another injury and with the versatility that you mentioned players can move around so if everybody is healthy if these 17 players that we're talking about are all healthy at the same (laughs) time um then yeah i mean i would i would get rid of chang uh before arroyo personally just you know i know arroyo was up to a a slow start but i think that he has more pop are you in agreement with that keaton i am why do you guys like Arroyo more than Chang? Is it just the bat? Because I think Chang's defense is better. And like you said, Bob, I mean, the reason why you wanted Chang in the first place was the defense. So what are we doing here? Well, I don't think Arroyo's defense is bad. I mean, I agree with you um, that I think Chang's defense is a little bit better. But I think the gap, um, <laughs> I mean, we're still, God, the gap in, Bats, I think, is larger than the gap in defense, but we're still talking about bench players, so it's not like they're both both gaps are not large. Yeah, that's what we're doing is we're putting a pecking <laughs> order of a bunch of mediocre middle infielders. Guys, yeah. fuck it. Pablo Reyes is my starting shortstop for the rest of the year. <laughs> no one can tell me anything. <laughs> no, see, my crazy move when Duvall comes back is I'm putting Duran back where he started. I'm putting him at second base. No. Oh my. All right, here we go. Yeah, no, I I thought I was the one drinking the gin and tonics. What's going on here? I uh, I spiked my Gatorade. Okay. So yeah. Arroyo had a seven sixty nine OPS in twenty twenty one. He had a seven thirty six OPS in twenty twenty two, and he got off to a bit of a slow start for a month. So I think he has pop, and I think he is part of a twenty six man roster that has playoff experience and it gets hits and big moments that's not somebody that i want to designate for assignment personally what are so. those numbers again the, the ops is in 2021 was 769 nice, nice. and 2022 was 736 <laughs> i had a guy. feeling you were going there yeah, yeah. I, missed, I missed it the first time i had to bring it back yeah yeah you know the only thing that's popping about that to me is his hamstring though i wonder <laughs> how long he's uh gonna be available with all the injuries that uh that Arroyo has but you know what I think you're probably right that's the guy who stays he's the most long tenured out of those guys he's versatile and when his hamstring pops you just call him Manuel Valdez back up so there you go it's fine all right let's talk about the bullpen here though um Richard Blyer placed on the IL with shoulder inflammation we've talked on this show about how Blyer would be the guy that would you know send Eck into retirement if uh, Eck wasn't already <laughs> retired. Um, Bernardino was recalled to take his place. Um, cool for Bernardino, Bob, as you've mentioned before, uh, you know, Bernardino being on the West Coast trip where he's from and with his story, him getting to be out there is pretty cool. But my question to you guys, and uh, let's start with you on this one, Keaton, is is this it? For Richard Blyer, who, you know, really hasn't come in and, and done the job that he was expected to as a lefty uh, for the Red Sox, he's looked pretty bad. Um, he was acquired in the trade for Matt Barnes. And one of the questions that we got in an email uh, was about Matt Barnes or Richard Blyer, which one of these guys is having a better season. And right now, I mean, Matt Barnes is not having a great season, but he's, ha- he's got a 3.54 ERA. Um, Richard Blyer, on the other hand, has a 5.85 ERA with a 21.1% home run to fly ball ratio. Uh, he has been 
terrible. So, uh, you know, it's it's hard to say you'd want Matt Barnes over anybody, but I think you would want Matt Barnes over Blyer at this point. So what do they do here with, with Blyer? I mean, sure, with the hindsight, but, I mean, I'm, I'm unbothered by Matt Barnes not being here, and I was totally fine with them trying to go in another direction there. I um, agree with that, by the way, but go yeah, ahead. It didn't work, but uh, whatever. Um, yeah, I think it probably is. For Blair, I really feel like the only way he ends up coming back into the bullpen is if they end up with a bunch of injuries by the time he's healthy again and he actually has a spot. But right now he doesn't have a spot. And we even have guys that are going to be making their way back to make it even harder for him to find his way back in. So, yeah, if they end up carving out a spot specifically for him, that it just wouldn't make sense to me. So, yeah, I think it is unless – it, it just kind of a spot naturally opens up due to others getting injured by the time he's ready to be activated. Are, are you in agreement with that, Bob? Are you cool with just uh, rolling with Jilly Rodriguez and Brennan Bernardino as really your only lefties and maybe even seeing Bernardino get squeezed out once some of the other guys get healthy? Yes, Richard Blyer, 36 years old. He's in the last one percentile of fastball velocity. Bottom 3% fastball spin, bottom 3% whiff percentage, bottom 7% K rate, 10% batting average, slugging. Yeah, I'm okay with getting rid of Richard Blyer. No problem. Um, and he throws 89. The only thing I would disagree with is... Faster than Kluber. Sorry, he throws... <laughs> um, I wanted them to keep Matt Barnes over uh, Ryan Brazier this year because I thought he showed more in the last month, month and a half of the season. And Barnes has a 21% K rate, which I can guarantee is higher than Blyer's. Yeah, I mean, I if you guys, If you guys had to guess the uh, three pitchers currently from the Red Sox bullpen this year, leading, leading the bullpen in innings pitched, who would you guess? Martin? Nope. Not even Kowski. Number one. Crawford? Nope. Thought maybe those seven outing uh, innings in relief. Jansen? Nope. Oh, Bernardino? Geez. Nope. <laughs> I don't know, man. Winkowski, number one. Number two, Ryan Brazier. Oh. Number three, Richard Blyer. Dude, what the hell? Why is that? (laughs) I don't fucking know. I've watched 98% of the games this year, and I have no idea why those last two pitched. It's like one of those paralysis situations. You just black out when, you know, these guys are pitching. It's your brain is coping. That is fascinating, right? Doesn't make any sense. Wild. I feel like Chris Martin, we were like always talking about how he was being overused early in the year and then he got hurt because of it. Yeah. So I guess like... It was the 15 days he took off. Yeah, it was. Mm. And then you sort by appearances in Brazier and Blyer, number one and two. Gross. Boy, is that horrific. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't like that. Nope. nope. Not nope. one bit. <laughs> well, they're gone. They're gone. 
Next bit of news, also some good news, and uh, specifically good for uh, for you, Keaton. This is one of your guys, uh, Tristan Casas, heating up a little bit over the last thirty days. Two thirty one, three forty six, four thirty one, with a one twelve WRC plus, four home runs, and a two hundred ISO. Uh, are you confident, or more confident, that he is figuring it out at the plate? More confident, yes. Certainly headed in the right direction. Um, loving the OBP there. Let's see the average come up a little bit. But uh, yeah, and I think you were you you might have been dead on about the power. About about the power being a little bit of a slow burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that's the thing with uh, with Casas is you know he's been a little over selective. Uh, he's been accused of being passive at times. Then he started attacking fastballs more, and now pitchers are throwing him nothing but off-speed pitches. So he's going to have to adjust back to that and see if he can hit off-speed and breaking pitches more. So, so that's what he's what he's going to get now. He's going to get a constant diet of that. Um, Bob, when uh, Duvall comes back to this mix, uh, is he going to be a candidate to lose some playing time? Mm-hmm. Turner going to first base a little bit more often. Yeah, we can throw advanced stats out there as much as we want, but he's hitting 181 through 43 games. So that's just, that's fact. Now, he's been better in May, and here I am throwing an advanced stat at you. He has the highest barrel rate among qualified hitters in the entire league for the month of May at 21.6%. So, holy smokes. I think that he's really close to going on a heater. But if he's hitting 181, if it's just kind of hitting the ball hard and a good walk rate and he's still striking out 27% of the time and under 200, I, I think you you have to sit him one out of three half the games, you know, when, when all those hitters are here, especially if Duvall comes back playing the way that he did previously. And, you know, Durant slowed down a little bit, but he's got to be out there decent amount a lot of good left-handed hitters um but yeah when i saw that barrel rate in may it makes me you know think that he's really close and um you know it's not that noticeable he's still got 83 wrc plus and a 181 average but i think it's coming yeah the numbers in may look really strong i mean 250 average 117 wrc plus um 348 Woba is really nice to see, too. And then 355 on the OBP because he's walking nearly 15% of the time to go along with it. That's really strong. He's having a hell of a month. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's really where I kind of hoped he would be consistently. Like that for an entire line for for a season is great. That, I mean, coupled with massive power, which uh, I'd like to see pick up a little bit more. But yeah. But you know. so I, I think that we've spent the whole episode talking about how the starting rotation is getting healthy and the outfield's getting healthy and middle infielders are starting to come back and they've had three really poor hitting games in a row after you know a great series at Fenway. But th- this is a lot of positive things. This could be a good twenty-six man roster two weeks from now when when Duvall comes back after what they've just done with the rotation. So you know I I think. That, that things are looking up with this team and they are in position two games out of the wild card, you know, was it three games over 500? They're putting themselves in position 
to go on a run this summer with all of these players coming back. Yeah, and it feels like a team that uh, is capable of going on a couple of those runs, and we already saw one of those. What was it, a seven or an eight-game win streak before it was snapped? I think that they have that in them. And you know, before we got on the show, we were talking off off the air, and Keaton, you mentioned that like their last turn through the rotation, all the guys have gone six innings other than Kluber. So, I mean, that's... That's a massive benefit. And uh, you know what? I think I figured out what the issue was with Casas's power uh, early in the year. Um, you guys know about his, you know, sunbathing routine out in the bullpen, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, April uh, and March in New England, there's not as much sun as you would like. So I think like a plant that gets stronger as you know it gets sunnier out and stuff like that i think he's now absorbing enough rays that he's uh he's getting stronger he draws his power from photosynthesis yeah he's like a bulbasaur he's got that move where he he puts it (laughs) he puts his ass up above like the rest of his body which uh which is very impressive so yeah like a bulbasaur yeah there you go yeah he's that ass starting on memorial day you heard it here first. He's a grass type Pokemon, as well as uh, as well as being a massive first baseman. So, this episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud. Fuel innovation with responsible AI and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, all right. Speaking of uh, Pokemon, let's let's move on to Nathan Eovaldi. Um, <laughs> that's, we guess that's smooth. Who is and what type is he? <laughs> uh, rock. He's, he's got legs of legs of rock. Um, but our good friend Shelly Verstrait has a question for us. And, you know, Shelly, great minds think alike because we had already added Nathan Eovaldi to this agenda before uh, the show. But Shelly asks, what are your thoughts on Nathan Eovaldi sort of turning into Sandy Alcantara and going deep into games for the Rangers? Is this just a hot streak? And should the Red Sox have signed him? So to give you guys an idea... Um, He's dropped his home run to fly ball rate uh, last year with us. Uh, he had a 17.2% uh, home run to fly ball rate. This year it's down to 5.2%. Um, and his ERA is 2.6 with a 0.97 whip. Uh, if that holds, obviously there's a long way to go, but it would be the best of his career by far. Uh, he's pitching his ass off for the uh, Texas Rangers, his home state, Looks phenomenal. I will say, though, I'll be the first to answer this. I still think it was the right move for the Red Sox not to bring him back 
because of the health concerns and you know i just felt like his time had run its course now you know looking at this and we're we're talking about Corey kluber going to the bullpen right now well this guy's about to win a cy young and it's easy to say like hey we should have just given the money to eovaldi yes of course hindsight's 2020 but at the same time like i understand why they didn't want to bring back eovaldi at what he was going to make yeah, I, so I have a piece coming out tomorrow, actually, about the free agents that signed elsewhere that the Red Sox were in on, and then the pitchers that left in free agency, and kind of Corey Kluber going to the, the bullpen today fits in with that in an interesting way. But with Ivaldi, you know, he's he leads the league in innings pitched now, and he, he's got 10 starts where there's quite a few that have 11 starts, and he still has more innings pitched than... Than anybody else um and over the last five starts where he's 4-0 with an 0.86 he's gone seven innings in all of them <clears throat> but he his k rate is just seven and a half strikeouts per nine so he, and that's down like from past years that's down from his first five starts of the year so his fastball has been good sitting 95 96 but he's pitching to contact and um, I mean, we know what Evaldi looks like when he's when he's on. He's painting corners um, and can do what he's doing now. But I, I also get it, like you said, and we, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. I, I didn't think they were going to give him the qualifying offer. Now, granted, I didn't know what the pitching market was going to be like, and I didn't know that Corey Kluber was going to be the only starter that they were going to bring in. So two years at thirty-four million sounds pretty reasonable compared to what they did. Um, but he's had two Tommy John surgeries and he had an arm injury in the second half of last year where he was throwing closer to the low to mid nineties, even when he came back at the end. So you, know, you see like Drew Rasmussen in Tampa Bay, who's had two Tommy John surgeries and has another arm injury. And you have three of those. That is the end of your career. So I get it. I get why they didn't go that route, but you know, this is the upside with Ivaldi. I think we can just all be happy for Nathan Eovaldi. Like, well, he was here. He pitched his ass off. He earned a contract. He did some good things. He did some bad things. But overall, I have a positive view of Nathan Eovaldi. And the fact that he has gone home to his home state to pitch for the you know hometown team and he's killing it, I'm just happy for the guy. And they're in first place right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to kind of expand this to the entire Rangers rotation. Um, they're all doing really, really well. The rear rays are great. They don't walk, at least the starters. Rear rays are great. They don't walk anybody. And I'm curious, because this used to not be a great destination for pitchers because of the humidity and being outdoors. Now they have the retractable roof. Retract, blah, retract, Jesus Christ. Retractable roof. <laughs> Easy don't know why that was say. so hard. Yeah, man, I really did spike the skater here. Um, and that I'm wondering how much of an effect you think actually controlling the conditions of the game that the guys, these guys are playing down there now uh, is that an effect for the pitchers? Well, it's it's definitely one of the most pitching friendly uh, parks in the min- uh, in the majors now. It's definitely playing that way, and it has been last year and this year and i think the the dimensions are a little bit different to go along with that as well and the defense is really good so i i think it's kind of an ideal place to be a pitcher at this point yeah 
You see their record, and DeGrom has thrown 30 innings, and they're paying him $37 million a year. So he's rehabbing, and yeah, I didn't expect Texas to be this good this quickly, but. Yeah. Yep. It's nice to see the teams that spend money and be aggressive, though, get rewarded for their aggression. So. And, and that's kind of the point of what I have come out is they, they did spend $10 million on Kluber. Andrew Haney was 12, and Eflin was 13, and Sango was 15 a year. Evaldi was only 16. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Which was under market value, according to my good friends, but track. Yeah, so So, those are a bunch uh, of solid pitchers that are in the 10 to $16 million range, and they went on the low end with Kluber, and turns out you get what you pay for in that sense. Yeah, well, they wanted Eflin. Eflin just didn't want them. Yes. And that is true. Is they, <laughs> yeah. He took that offer and brought it to Tampa and said, will you match this? And they did. So um, yeah. I don't fault them for F1. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to some more uh, listener questions. We got a bunch of emails, and, and all of these were great. So thank you guys for, for sending in the emails to the show. That's been a really good addition. So uh, let's get to the first one. This one's from Mark. It says, I know it's a bad look to get rid of a free agent pitcher in May, but how much longer should they give Kluber? Seems to be better options. If he's struggling the first week of June, does Bloom make a move, presuming general health, among other starting pitcher options? You know, we talked a lot about this uh, when we were doing our breakdown of Kluber. Um, and Bob, you kind of think that they're going to give him until July on the roster. Uh, Keaton, do you think he lasts all the way until July before uh, being moved or DFA'd? Um, yes, I do. All right, I'll be the one to go out on a limb and say that uh, he is going to be DFA'd uh, before July. You know, the, the one thing that I've been kind of happy about this year is I think that because Heimblum and Cora seem to be sort of uh, going for their jobs this year, I mean, they're, they're sort of playing for their jobs. I feel like there's been more urgency that, than in years past to make some of these moves, so... Uh, I hope that that urgency uh, continues. Next one comes from Kurt. He says, hey, Jake, Keaton, Bob, big fan of the show. Two questions for you guys. First question here says, almost two months of the new MLB rule set. Uh, Who do you think the team has benefited most from these changes? And uh, do you think that this has influenced Bloom's player acquisition thinking in the offseason? Bob, do you have anybody in mind on the team who you think has really benefited from these rule changes? Uh, I would just say, I would say Jaron Duran, um, more than anybody, with kind of just what he can do on the bases. I think we talked so much about <clears throat> Jansen, and he ended up outside of that weird one game there that, um, that he struggled kind of with the eight second rule that the con with uh, Contreras, the catcher uh, outside of that, he's been totally fine with the pitch clock. So um, I don't know. I'm trying to think, is there, is there a hitter in the team in terms of the shift that has benefited more from that? I think left-handed hitters in general have, 
I think Verdugo probably has a little bit. Yeah, and they have a lot of left-handed, good left-handed hitters that are all, you know, when when Cassis gets there with the average, um, that are all hitting, hitting for a good batting average. So I think that's helped. It'd be interesting to see how much that's helped their team compared to the rest of the league in general with left-handed hitters. But Verdugo is a good call. Yeah, Verdugo is exactly the one that came to mind for me, and I was also going to make a point that I would have expected more from Casas Endeavors, but hasn't really seemed to impact them yet at all. Maybe yeah. more because they're more fly ball hitters and Verdugo not so much, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just been a weird first couple months. Maybe that'll start to settle in for them. Seems like we're still waiting for uh, Devers to go on like a big heater, and he's like yeah. leading the league in RBIs despite having not gone on a big heater yet. So yeah, I feel like we're waiting more for him, but I can't think of any uh, off-season acquisition that really uh, – maybe Tapia like would be a guy who kind of works with this. I mean, Tapia – Second on the team in terms of stolen bases to Jaron Duran. Um, he's been a guy that's definitely utilized that element of, of the game. So I think that'd be a, a good one. The Babips. So Tapia's Babip is 327. Duran's is 407. McGuire, 440. You know, I think the average is normally 300. Verdugo's is 312. So, of course, huh. Cassis is down at 210. <laughs> So lumbering giant, <laughs> but it's it. They do have some really high BABIPs that are well over three hundred. Um, yeah, so maybe Duran falls in that category. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That would be my interesting. Well, his next one says, uh, "Now that we have a month month of data to look at, did Bloom make the right call on the following off season choices, or would we have been better off re-signing or retaining the following players?" So the first one was Barnes versus Blyer, and we already did that one. But the next two are J.D. Martinez versus uh, Justin Turner and Vasquez versus the platoon of Wong McGuire. And he says, thanks for all your work on the show. Cheers from Ontario. Thank you, Kurt. We really appreciate you listening. Um, I think that uh, we would probably all agree that the Wong McGuire platoon has been better uh, than Vasquez this year is. Does anyone disagree with that? No, nope. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Vasquez still zero home runs. Uh, he's been worth zero point one WAR. Uh, Connor Wong has been worth more than that by himself. Has four bombs and has really sort of come into his own. I think by far the more interesting one is uh, Justin Turner versus JD Martinez. So. The line for Justin Turner, five home runs, uh, 11% walk rate, 15.5% K rate, 267, 364, 07, 111 WRC+. Plus. J.D. Martinez on the flip side, uh, he has nine home runs, uh, 30 RBI, 5.4% walk rate, which is uh, among the lowest of his career, 27.9% K rate, which is among the highest of his career, uh, 261, 306, 575 with a 132 WRC+. Plus. I would much rather have Justin Turner in this lineup than J.D. Martinez striking out. What do you guys think? So I agree. 
um, I think the K rate is a huge piece, as you mentioned, 27.9. That's really high. That's a huge spike um, from really anything in his career since 2015. You know, he's a 24% strikeout rate in his career, so he's up 4% there. He does have the home runs. That's the one spot, and therefore his WRC plus is higher. But he's not playing. I don't believe he's played a game in the field all year. Turner um, has played some first. He filled in at third game. Um, I think that he fits this lineup well when Duvall is back with Duvall and Devers being kind of power hitters behind him. Um, so, you know, just another reason why I'm looking forward to the Duvall return. I think that that kind of everything will fall into place a little bit better there. <clears throat> but yeah, 11% walk rate, 15.5% K percentage. He's on base 36% of the time. I think long term that that's going to work and it seems as if he might be a better clubhouse fit um, than retaining Martinez. The other thing too is Jenny Martinez has already hit the uh, the IL this season as well. He's only um, does have the nine home runs in thirty four games, but um, you know we've been dealing with his back issues here for a while over the last few seasons. It didn't take long for that to creep in here in LA either, so. I think I'm with you guys. Yeah, and I think the clubhouse thing is maybe the the most important piece of this. It seems like he's a guy that gets brought up a lot when uh, clubhouse issues from last year get talked about. So, yeah, the only thing I don't like about Justin Turner is that he wears number two. But, you know, I'll leave that line where it is. (laughs) Our last question comes from Steve, who uh, had an excellent question. So excellent that we already answered it on the show, but we'll read it because, Steve, you are a smart man who uh, thought about the same things that we are. He says, hey, guys, great show, albeit very short sample size. Uh, Do you think the way uh, with Valdez has been playing, it's making the Red Sox rethink their middle infield plans going forward with these types of issues tend to sort themselves out? Is there a potential log jam coming with all the middle infielders due to come back at some point? Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. And uh, yeah, since we gave you like 25 minutes on four middle infield guys, uh, I'd say we're pretty interested in it and we think there's a log jam. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed that uh, 25 minutes of uh, Pablo Reyes, Valdez, Yu Chang and Christian Arroyo, because if you did, this is the show for you. Jake, if you don't mind me cutting in, uh, I just did like a Google News search of Adalberto Mondesi from the last week. Yeah. And um, you're not going to believe this, but there is no news. Oh, so <laughs> shocked. Yes. Yes. Uh, I believe we're on day 60 of the 60-day IL. Yeah, I feel like people have uh, come back from uh, much worse injuries than than Mondesi in much shorter periods of time, so... Yeah, I don't expect to see that man at any point. Pretty sure Wes Welker's ACL healed faster than this. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's a perfect way to end the show. Um, we do appreciate all of you guys and girls uh, listening to the show. Uh, all the questions were phenomenal this week, so keep sending them in. Uh, the emails are awesome, and uh, any questions uh, on Twitter as well. Oh, there was one more question, actually. On Twitter that I got sent um, that I want to get to if we have some time uh, before we leave. If you guys will just talk amongst yourselves while I find it. 
Um, hey, Bob, how's your weekend? Oh, it was great to my daughter's dance recital. It was fire. How was yours? It was great. Tried some new soap. Turned out I was allergic to it. Tried to return it, but I lost my receipt. Oh, I can't find it. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay. Mike Teague. One more question. He says, thoughts on keeping Hauk as an opener and having him go two to three innings pitched in front of Whitlock. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, this log jam solved. Sorry, Mike. Yes, this got resolved before. So, anyhow. Uh, Thanks, Jake. That was well worth it. Yeah, Keaton, feel free to cut that. Um. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. You can follow the show. Uh, uh, you know, subscribe to the show. You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow uh, Bob at Bob Osgood fifteen. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake, and you can follow the Over the Monster site at Over the Monster. We appreciate the listen, and we'll be with you again next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.